Maramai, good morning. This is Judith Lay welcoming you to Manx Radio and to the podcast of this week's edition of At Your Service. Manx Radio! Four years as a teacher, 25 years as an army chaplain and six years as the Bishop of Soder and Man. My special guest this morning is the Right Reverend Peter Eagles, and our hymns are two that featured in Bishop Peter's final service yesterday afternoon. Let's begin with a Samuel Wesley hymn, O Thou Who Camest From Above, The Pure Celestial Fire to Impart, Kindle the Flame of Sacred Love on the Mean Altar of My Heart. The Methodist Central Hall Choir and Samuel Wesley's hymn, O Thou Who Camest From Above. Yesterday afternoon, during a special service in the Royal Chapel of St John in the shadow of Tinwald Hill, the Right Reverend Peter Eagles ended his ministry as Bishop of Soder and Man by laying down his pastoral staff, the symbolic shepherd's crook, which each bishop carries as a sign that they're chosen not just to lead but to care for all in their diocese as a shepherd cares for his sheep. The pastoral staff will now be kept by the Dean of the Cathedral, the Most Reverend Nigel Godfrey, and it is he who will hand it over to whoever follows Bishop Peter to become the 94th Bishop of Soda and Man. 
But back to today and Bishop Peter. After four years teaching, in order to test and confirm his calling to the Anglican priesthood, study and ordination followed. And after being a curate in a Middlesex parish and getting married, the next 25 years were spent as an army chaplain, serving in some of the world's most challenging war zones. In 2017, the Venerable Peter Eagles retired as Deputy Chaplain General of the Army and in the summer of the same year was consecrated Bishop in York Minster. Shortly after, in the early autumn of 2017, Bishop Peter and his wife Gail moved to the island and he began his ministry as Bishop of Sodran Man. Now, six years later, he's retired from that ministry and on Tuesday he and Gail will leave the island and move to their home in Walsingham in Norfolk. This morning, Bishop Peter joins me to reflect on his ministry in general and the Manx years in particular. Bishop, good morning and welcome. Good morning, Judith. Thank you. Bishop, you were ordained 30-odd years ago and you went into a parish as a curate where you found your wife, Gail, who you described as um, an extremely attractive, blonde young lady. And and just remind us what you said to her. Well, well, I think the phrase I used was, how would you feel about teaming up together? Which uh, is sort of an understatement, I guess, really, as to to what's, what's involved in the, the commitment of marriage, but I felt putting it in a gentle way like that was the, the right way forward. What I didn't say, of course, was you know this is actually going to mean moving to Germany and our first married home being a military house in Germany, followed by another twelve or thirteen or fourteen moves before we come to the Isle of Man. I didn't say any of that, partly of course because I didn't know it, but also because I didn't want to put her off. But I think actually, had I said it, I don't think Gail would have been put off. I think quite honestly, she would have been up for that particular challenge. Well, you do strike me as being a perfect team. You do have that natural teamworking ability. But how did it come about that you went into such a military ministry? I felt called to it, and I think I could identify a number of moments, really. I mean, for example, one was just seeing um, a non-commissioned officer interviewed actually on Songs of Praise on on television one one Sunday about the value of of the work that he and his unit were doing, which was essentially in bringing humanitarian aid into a war zone. And for me, the realisation that there was really important work being done there. Here was someone who was working in really hard, difficult circumstances and that there has to be a place for the church to speak into that, a spiritual voice that is recognisably the voice of the church that supports people, brings pastoral care and encouragement to them in that really difficult line of work and at the same time offers them something slightly different and the idea that the church can speak into a military community, into a war zone, in a to a place of humanitarian disaster and can just be there with people. And for me, I think that was at that point a really compelling call. But it has taken you into some very, very difficult situations where you've had to receive bodies back from a war zone and somehow make sense of this to the bereaved families. So it was never going to be an easy ministry. But at the same time, isn't it important for the church to be seen in these really, really difficult places? That's it, to be seen and, and, and to be heard and to be able to speak words that are pastoral and sometimes that are prophetic as well. And remembering, of course, you know, in the military community, you're dealing with young people who you know, actually may not have any other encounter with the church. 
but who probably need its support and its message as much as anyone. And certainly, you know, your, your point about the terrible fatalities that we sustained in, in Iraq and Afghanistan and the repatriation process of, of how you manage death when it happens out there, actually in the operational environment, and then how you receive it back at, at Bryce Norton or, or Lynham or wherever it may be, the Royal Air Force Base, and how you actually then bring comfort to a family who are receiving back the body of a, of a son, a daughter, a, a father, a husband who's been killed on the other side of the world. How do you articulate and express that? And I guess that was the sort of pastoral ministry that was really the essence of what, of what I was wanting to do. I'm not going to ask you for any particular comment on the Israel and Gaza situation, but as, as somebody who has worked so consistently in war zones, it must be particularly painful because there are no winners in war, are there? There aren't. You know, I've, I've just mentioned the British um, casualties and fatalities in Iraq and Afghanistan. In Afghanistan, that was of a level that we never thought we would see again and the, and the fiercest fighting, really, for British soldiers probably since since Korea. But actually, now the number of the number of fatalities, deaths, military and civilian in in Ukraine and 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 now in in Israel and Gaza is just utterly utterly shocking. And to think that we that we are still at this stage at this level is is appalling. And one can only hope and pray that a way through this can be found. But at the moment, it, it seems it could be one of these awful situations, both in Israel and Gaza um, and in Ukraine, where it could just go on and on. And that's the worst possible outcome, isn't it? That's it. Uh, you know, I, I don't at the moment see a solution to these things. But then I sit outside, obviously outside the cultural context of this. And, uh, you know, the Russian relationship to Ukraine has always been a complicated one. Clearly, the Israel-Gaza situation, you could come at that from a variety of angles and say that in any of those ways, it's just an acute situation of, of human need, deprivation, poverty, injustice, all of which is now resolving itself through violence and war. That cannot be the way forward. But from where we sit in, in, in Western Europe, it's hard sometimes, I think, to understand the fullness of all of that. Again, the, the church simply has to speak into it. I mean, I would, I would salute my colleagues, um, Archbishop Hassam of the Anglican Diocese of Jerusalem, who is, with his ecumenical colleagues and others, is exercising a heroic ministry there. Um, Archbishop of Ju Justin of Canterbury made an unplanned and unscheduled visit out um, last week and spent time talking as widely as he could, and particularly with bereaved families. So again, if we can't find a solution, we can at least offer pastoral care and support to those who are caught up in it. And pray. And pray, utterly so. And I, I guess I would want to emphasise that always. The, you know, the, the, the church is called to be pastoral, to care for people, to be prophetic sometimes, to speak truthfully and powerfully to people, and to be prayerful, to pray always. Now, that brings me round to, to something that, that I, I recall right from your early days, coming here six or so years ago. You look so at home when you're taking a service. You look never happier than when you are in a church. And I did mention this to you, and, and you said that, that you love to celebrate the liturgy, that, that this is incredibly important to you. Over the years, I've got the impression that being prayerful is more important to you than being a bishop. 
Ah, that's a really that's that's a really interesting point. I mean, I guess I would want to say that being a bishop has to be undergirded by by being a person of prayer. Episcopal ministry, priestly ministry needs to arise out of prayer. Therefore, prayer really has to come first. Liturgy, taking services, leading worship is a wonderful thing, but it is in itself prayerful. And the prayer that undergirds and supports all of that has to be real and and genuine and authentic. And I suppose over my time here, one of the things I've learned, I think, is that, you know, the importance of that time for prayer, making time for it and enabling it to inform everything else that we do. And I think I've probably got to the stage now of thinking, well, prayer is is maybe e- even called to be a larger part of my life going forward than it has been up till now. And I think that may be one of the reasons, perhaps, that I, I've sensed that I, I probably need to move into a slightly different register of of prayer, which is what I think I look to do as I move on from here. Now, that, that's not to say that it's not been possible to be prayerful here. I mean, it has, of course. And I've I've very much valued the prayer and the times of prayer that I've shared with others, you know, colleagues within the diocese, ecumenical colleagues, many other people, all of that, all of that has been wonderful. And, you know, I've I've never felt that I'm I'm called to the monastic life, but I, I have felt that I'm called to perhaps a life of, of, of deeper contemplation, meditation and prayerfulness than is sometimes possible at the moment. Is that what has, has brought you to this point of thinking that now is the time to step away from this? Because you're not old enough to retire. You've got, please God, lots of good years left. But is it just a different rhythm that you're looking for now? That's part of it. I think there's also a sense that the things that I really wanted to do when I came here, by and large, I have done. Um, I've been pleased that, you know, we've we've had some really, really good appointments, clergy and lay people in the diocese recently. And I think in, in that sense and in other ways, if I've been able to make a specific contribution, that possibly now is is made. And it may be the case that actually for, a, for the future, someone else with a new vision and a new set of skills and strengths perhaps can take can take that forward. Looking back on your time here, on your six years here, what would you say that things that you're most, I'm not going to say proud of because you're not that kind of a person, but that you're most pleased are now in place? What, what would you identify? Well, in the end, I think it's, it's individual encounters with people and where perhaps I've been able to offer something helpful or positive into into people's lives. I mean, that for me is the main thing. So it's about pastoral work, pastoral ministry, bringing us as a, as a diocese through the experience of, of COVID, responding to one or two other sort of significant national events. I, th- I think if I sense that people are confident in their faith, are joyful in their faith, and are generous towards one another and to God. And if I've been able to contribute anything at all to getting us to that point, then I'm I'm really pleased and happy. don't think I could say much more about it than that, but those are the sort of terms that I would be thinking of. What do you think that the challenges are to a new bishop? Because the world, even in the six years that you've been here, has, has changed quite significantly, hasn't it? Mm, yes, it has. I mean, I don't think public leadership in any form has got easier over that period. And we might say, actually, that some of the things that came to us from the pandemic, I mean, not least the fact that probably technology has advanced by about five years, almost overnight. And with with that, of course, the fact that leadership is open to a much 
greater public scrutiny than it has been in the past. And Christian leadership, where you, you're offering really quite a counter-cultural narrative, one that the, the one that doesn't sit easily with some of the things that you know in, in liberal democracies in the West we've we've come to take for granted. So the the, the priority, for example, of of individual rights and individual conscience over what you might call the duty of care for one's neighbour, and set against that also the the, the primacy of public life over this sort of individual privacy as well that one in the past might have enjoyed. So I think speaking about a, a gospel of, of liberation and of freedom and of responsibility and of community into today's world is just really quite complicated. And how you do that requires thoughtfulness and sensitivity. So I suppose that, w- that would really be one of the challenges. I mean, the other would be around you know, financial sustainability and growth and mission, all of those things, which wherever we look in the Western world at the moment are really quite difficult. But they can happen, and we know they can happen. And they, they've happened here, for example, and there would be instances of that. And some of the work around pioneer church, around um, mission, around chaplaincy with young people, in all of those things, I think great things are being done. And I guess my word to my successor might be, you know, think about how you can expand that and grow that. The model of the church, you know, actually going out going out to people and maybe being prepared to start them off from a standing start and just and just develop them in the sort of Christ-like behaviours and attitudes that form the, the Christian life. Do that alongside, you know, the parish church, which is there for everyone who may come every Sunday or may come once a year or may not come at all, but actually it's their parish church and that, that for them is the embodiment of God. So all of those different things. And, you know, if, if you read what the Church of England says about those things, you know, that's the mixed, that's the mixed model, if you will, you know, between, between the parish church and new models or expressions of church. There's a place for both of those. And, and maybe, maybe here on the island, actually, we can just move along quite happily with both of those. You leave us in the care of the Bishop of Middleton, Bishop Mark Davis. Now, that could go on for, for possibly a year or, or, or maybe more as the selection process takes its course. Do you think that's a good thing, that, that there is this space between and then along comes another bishop? Do you, do you, do you think that's a, a good process? There probably has to be something of a gap, I, I, I would say. And I know, again, actually, that's countercultural. No, no, no one else does that. But I suppose the task of the bishop is rooted so much in the individual sort of qualities and views and vision of that particular person that that it takes time I think it takes time to find that person and it probably takes time also for the diocese actually to be ready for a new person so whilst a year might seem excessive and I actually hope it won't be quite that long I'm sort of think, th- thinking and hoping it might be a bit shorter than that. Nonetheless, that that is how the process works, and I think I, I you know, I, I would say we have our archdeacon, we have our dean, we have our diocesan secretary, we have very gifted leadership, which under Bishop Mark as our commissary bishop will enable things to, to to continue to move forward, and then to be able to receive a new bishop with the gifts and the vision that that person brings. Yesterday was your final service. It was at the parish church at St John's, the the, the Royal Chapel. You delivered your final sermon there. For the benefit of those who weren't there, what what, what was the final word that... Can you just remind us of the final word you left with us, please? 
It would be, well, a couple of words, it would be endings and beginnings. And, and in that order, actually, I think, you know, we often speak of beginnings and endings. I think, in, you know, in the Christian faith, which is built around an ending, which looked like failure, out of which came the resurrection and the new beginning, the beginning of the life of the church. The fact that there is that, that, that joy in the risen Christ, which offers to us a new beginning always. And so whilst, whilst yesterday was an ending in that sense, it's also a new beginning, a new beginning for the island, a new beginning for the diocese and the church here, and a new beginning for me, because God, the God of surprises, is the one who in the risen Christ always offers us a new vision and a new beginning. Bishop Peter, thank you very much indeed for talking to us this morning. Thank you for your six years of ministry here on the island. And we wish you every joy and peace and blessing to you and to Gail as you start the next stage of your life. Judith, thank you and and blessings to you and to all who may have been listening this morning.
Thou My Vision, music there from Wallingford Parish Church Choir in Oxfordshire. And my thanks to my special guest this morning, the outgoing Bishop of Sodron Man, the Right Reverend Peter Eagles. Until a new bishop is installed here, the bishop's powers will be held by the Right Reverend Mark Davis, Bishop of Middleton in Manchester Diocese, someone I hope to be able to welcome to this programme a little later in the year. But now it's time to take a look at our notice board and we start with services today. There'll be harvest services today in Port Erin Gospel Church, this morning at half past 11 and tonight at 6 o'clock. And Port Erin Gospel Church can be found on the main road just next door to the Roman Catholic Church. The speaker at today's services will be Mr Trevor Wiley from Coleraine and everyone will be made most welcome. This afternoon, Agnish Chapel, up near the Laxey Wheel, will celebrate Harvest Thanksgiving with a service led by Mrs Rita Norrie starting at half past two with tea and cakes to follow. Also this afternoon, there's a special All Souls service in Kirkmackled starting at half past three. All those whom God has called home this year will be held in prayer. Everyone who wishes to share in this will be made most welcome. And this evening, there's a Manx bilingual service in Balabeg Methodist Chapel. Starting at half past six, it'll be led by Reverend Dr Janet Corlett, and the theme will be Hidden Riches. This promises to be a really special service. It'll include a world premiere of a hymn translated into Manx by Rob Tier, the singing of which will be led by Ruth Keggin-Gell, who is a soloist at the service, along with Krista McCartney. Everyone is welcome and there'll be refreshments afterwards. This Tuesday, the 31st, Sandygate Chapel on St Jude's Road have another of their very popular charity coffee mornings. You're invited to pop in any time between 10 and 12 noon to enjoy hot drinks, biscuits, cakes and a chat. It's all free, but donations are welcome and this month will be given to the Parkinson's Disease Society, Isle of Man. On Wednesday, November the 1st, All Saints' Day, there'll be a service of thanksgiving and remembrance, a time to pause, reflect and pray. A chance to remember and give thanks for our loved ones who have died. It's in Trinity Methodist Church at Rosemount here in Douglas on Wednesday evening at half past seven. Reverend Dr Janet Corlett will lead the service. The music will be in the capable hands of Trinity's organist and musical director Gareth Moore and there'll be an augmented choir with soloist Mandy Griffin. On Friday, the representative of Pope Francis, Archbishop Miguel Mori Buendia, will arrive on the island and in a special service in St Mary's Roman Catholic Church in Hill Street here in Douglas, he will formally read the decree from the Holy See announcing the inauguration of St Mary of the Isle as a co-cathedral to the Liverpool Metropolitan Cathedral of Christ the King, making St Mary's the first Catholic co-cathedral in the British Isles. Co-cathedrals are rare in the Catholic Church but can exist when, as is the case on the island, a single diocese spans two distinct civil jurisdictions. The Roman Catholic Church on the island is part of the Archdiocese of Liverpool. All the seats in the church for Friday's service have been allocated now, but wherever you are, you can share in the service by watching the live stream of this piece of Manx history. Go to manxcatholic.org and simply click on the live stream button.
The service starts on Friday at 12 noon, so the stream won't actually go live until a few minutes before noon on Friday. St Jude's have their annual soup day next Saturday, November the 4th. It'll be in the Community Hall in Clenock Road in Selby. Pop in any time between noon and 4pm. Enjoy some delicious homemade soups and bread with cakes to eat in and to take home too. And as it's the first Saturday of the month, the very popular craft market will be open in the Chapel and Community Centre in Glen May from 11am to 4pm next Saturday. Produce and handicrafts by local artists and there'll be homemade light lunches with bacon baps, tea, coffee and cake available. Entry is free, just head for Glen May and look for the bunting and the banners. Also next Saturday, the Isle of Man Interfaith Group will be hosting a meeting entitled Which Way to Peace? This meeting, which is open to anybody, will be at the Christian Science Church on the corner of Woodbourne Road and Hillary Road here in Douglas. It's next Saturday, November the 4th at 2 o'clock. This is an open forum to exchange views and thoughts on how to achieve peace. Looking ahead now to next Sunday, November the 5th, and Selby Methodist Church invites you to their Sankey service. It's next Sunday morning at half past ten. And that's all that we have time for now. But I'll be back later in our virtual lounge tonight at nine with a mix of easy listening music, your requests and your dedications. And I'd love you to join me if you can. So, till whenever we meet again, this is Judith saying thank you for listening and I wish you and those you love a blessed and peaceful week and a very good morning. Mm-hmm.